Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 34 and 31 Detroit Pistons. Ben and I talk about the team's current five-game win streak. We uh, ask what's driving the improved play of Andre Drummond. Spoiler, it is not the fact that he was snubbed for the All-Star game. Come on guys, do a little bit better. And, and we also talk about when and how the Pistons can find some rest for Blake Griffin. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which is something you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Uh, ben, how are you doing? Riding the wind streak, Laz. What a what a few weeks of basketball from our Pistons. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Undefeated in the month of March. It's, yeah. been, uh, it's been something. Uh, so this week, we got big comeback wins against Minnesota and Chicago. And then we have uh, some... Uh, a beatdown against Chicago today. They've won 12 of their last 15 games. Their playoff chances, according to 538, are uh, above 90%, which sounds good. I don't, I, that seems pretty good to me. I'm going to take that. And so I'm going to ask you two questions that I'm going to ask uh, you a lot tonight, Ben. And that's, that's why are the Pistons playing so well, and, and can it continue? Yeah. Um, well, they're, they're playing well for a lot of reasons. Well, unpack them as we go the shots are going in right the Langston Galloway can't literally cannot miss Kennard is shooting well Reggie is shooting well and uh we're we're seeing some guys come to life who maybe weren't healthy earlier in the year Reggie ish and Kennard in particular all three of those guys playing really really good basketball right now uh, and Blake Griffin continues to play well so really essentially they're just clicking on all cylinders, can it continue? Um, the shooting, probably not, right? I mean, this is a hot and cold shooting team, as three-pointing che- teams tend to be. But I think there's some sustainable parts about the way they're playing, the schemes that they're using. And if those can continue, and I think they should, then at least some of this offensive resurgence is, is sustainable beyond just a shooting streak. So you, you mentioned a whole bunch of names, but you didn't mention the name that in my mind is, is the reason for the for the uh, for the win streak, and that's Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond is playing better, and the Pistons play better when when Andre Drummond plays well. Like that's that's really all there is to it. I don't know if uh, this recent you know six week stretch of games means that Andre has entered the All NBA conversation. I think you still have to put guys like uh, Joel Embiid, Rudy Gobert, and, and Nikola Nikola Jokic ahead of him but he's been playing really well. He's averaging 21 points and 16 rebounds a game in his last 15 games, uh, two blocks and two steals, 63% from the floor, which is insane, uh, 68% from the line, and the Pistons are uh, 
a positive net rating of 17 points uh, when he steps on the floor. So wh- why? Why is Andre Bl- Why is Andre Drummond playing better in your mind? Uh, what's What's your read, Ben? Yeah, it's so much fun to watch, isn't it? Um, you know, thinking back to things that we've talked about on the podcast over the last couple of months, one of the things we talked about was as the perimeter guys sort of got healthy and sort of rounding rounded back into form. And this goes back to, you know, even Reggie Bullock coming back, Kennard slowly getting back introduced and things. And then more recently sort of Reggie and Ish rounding into form. Um, Andre's one-on-one looks have really started to decrease in volume, right? So he's not trying to pound the ball in the post and, and settle for sort of those half hooks that he likes from six feet away. Um, particularly as Ish and Reggie have started to really play well. Uh, we've seen, this decrease in Andre's one-on-one opportunities start to disappear a little bit. And I think that's a good thing because Andre is just obviously at his best without the ball in his hands. Um, So that means on the offensive glass as the roll man in the pick and roll. And I think he's even done some nice stuff of late kind of along the baseline in the short corner, uh, sort of diving when someone attacks the rim, particularly from the weak side. Um, So when he's playing off of others rather than forcing this one-on-one game, he's just a nightmare to deal with because that it takes full advantage of his athleticism, of his lengths, of his leaping ability. And Blake Griffin too. I mean, we saw this, uh, you know, a nice little alley-oop the other night against Chicago, you know, off the ball, Andre is just so, so, so much better than he is with the ball in his hands and, and with Reggie and ish healthy, able to penetrate, able to break down the defense, that opens up just much higher percentage opportunities for Andre than he was getting otherwise. No, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, if you remember earlier in the season when uh, when the offense was more geared around what Blake Griffin was able to accomplish from the post, uh, Andre's the percentage of Andre's baskets that were assisted was somewhere in like the 52-53% range. Uh, During this 15-game stretch where his numbers are elevated that I just talked about, uh, nearly 70% of his baskets have been assisted. And that that just goes to show you how uh, when Andre is not creating looks for himself, when he is is being the, the best version of a dependent talent, when he when he's rolling hard, when guys are uh, when guys are shooting well, and the space is there for him, uh, you can see that that makes him a more efficient and a more effective player. He's always been this good in my mind. He's always had uh, this level of capability uh, within himself. And so when when uh, when you say like, will this continue? Like I think I think yes. I think that. Uh, obviously, maybe he won't average like twenty one and sixteen. But there's no reason in my mind that uh, for the rest of the season, he can't continue to put up like 18 and 16. 16 seems to be about his limit, like rebounds per game. And uh, as long as you're not forcing the ball in him, into him too much, like I think he can hit that, that 18 point uh, plateau. Um, and especially I want to point out the, the health and resurgence of Reggie Jackson as the, the main key driver of the, of the increase in play in Andre Drummond. Uh, when we like we know from past history from a time long long ago aka like 2015 2016 that uh, when Andre Drummond has his pick and roll partner he can be a devastating like all-star level type of player um 
And now that Reggie Jackson is back to full health and Andre has his partner, it's like we, we see the best come out of Andre uh, accordingly. Uh, Reggie Jackson has been uh, great for the last 15 games as well. He's averaging 18 and five. He's shooting uh, over 40 or 50, 40, 90 in the last 15 games. That's kind of like the holy grail of, of NBA efficiency. Um, he single-handedly kept the Pistons afloat in the third quarter and on the uh, Friday Chicago game when they were just struggling offensively for the entire first half. And then, uh, of course, Ish came in and, and closed the door, and they uh, they made a huge comeback. But they wouldn't have been able to do that uh, without Reggie's contributions in the third quarter. And and you know, the if we're if we're going along the same questions, if we're going along the same lines, uh, why and will it continue? I think. The, the why is kind of already answered, right? We, we got that from uh, from Rod Beard at the Detroit News this week. Um, he had a big profile about how Reggie Jackson's more healthy than he's ever been. Uh, I want to read you a quote from that story from Reggie. He said, uh, there was some truth in what people were saying. I just didn't have the same explosion. I had to try and lie to myself and tell myself it was good and continue to be aggressive. Now, to me, that that is a crazy quote to hear from a professional athlete how often do you hear professional athletes kind of openly admit that uh they they aren't that not only are they not the player that they they once were but they have to like but in order to continue to play at, at any level they have to like lie to the, themselves and tell themselves like hey like despite the fact that like you're clearly not feeling it like we we still got to like put this together and we still have to we still have to make uh, positive contributions to our team and so i you know i'm I'm, and the story goes on to say that, you know, uh, they expected Reggie Jackson to be healthy around like February, January. That clearly has been the case. His play has been really elevated uh, since that time frame. And so since we know why, uh, and, I, and uh, so I guess, Ben, the next question is, uh, will this continue? Do you see this continuing from Reggie Jackson? It's a great question. And Reggie's resurgence has been you know, just a pleasure to watch as a fan. I was earlier in the season, I was just kind of at the point that I was feeling like I was pretty much done with Reggie, but you know, he's done a lot to win. I think the fan base back over as a whole, uh, as he's gotten healthy, you know, to me, the best thing he's doing right now, since he's been back to a hundred percent, you know, other than just being torrid from the field, as you mentioned that, you know, that 50, 40, 90 efficiency, the thing other than making shots that he's doing so well is going to the rim. And this doesn't mean just finishing, right? It doesn't mean just scoring. Um, But it gives the Pistons just this level of dynamism that their offense has not had this season prior to him really coming back strong. You know, we talked a lot about how Blake Griffin dribbling the air out of the ball, you know, and scoring 35 points a game made the Pistons very one-dimensional. And you know, ultimately, as we're looking back at this in hindsight, it's pretty clear Blake really had to do that, right? He just didn't have the guys around him who could do anything else. But, um, you know, as Reggie has rounded back into form and gotten healthy, I think him going to the rim it just adds an entirely another uh, level that make def- that makes defenses have to adjust a little bit. So uh, we can look at the first game of Chicago this week. It's a great example of that. You mentioned how he kept the team afloat in the third quarter, and I think that's exactly correct. And I think if he stays healthy, you know, his shooting is obviously going to cool off. He's not going to shoot, you know, 50, 46, 90, whatever for the rest of the season, Uh, especially that three-point shooting is probably going to drop off a little bit. But his ability to get to the rim, 
um, does a lot for the offense as a whole. And I think that's the piece that we have to hope is sustainable. Uh, it bodes well for the entire offense. It bodes well for Andre Drummond, as we've just talked about. It bodes well for Reggie's individual output. I mean, he's had some, uh, really, these two games against Chicago in particular stand out just really soft touch around the rim, you know, floaters from eight feet uh, up and over defenders, you know, who had a chance to maybe block a shot, really creative around the bucket. Uh, but but then him getting to the rim helps everybody else too, uh, you know, opens up uh, open shots as the defense has to adjust and rotate and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that's the piece that's, that's sustainable. Reggie Jackson attacking the basket. Um, it helps him as an individual. It boosts his own production but it opens up good looks for the rest of the offense. So I think that's the part we have to look for if and when the shooting cools off. I, I absolutely agree. You remember earlier in the year, uh, the the game Blake sat against Sacramento, there was a moment where uh, Reggie was in isolation against uh, Nemanja Bielica, and he just like could not get past like 32-year-old Nemanja Bielica, who has never been like known for his defensive prowess uh, across the NBA. And that was a moment when I was like, wow, like Reggie's been, you know, this 30 games into the year, Reggie's allegedly been healthy the entire time. It's like, I, it's like that moment was just really crystallized in my mind as a, as a moment where it's like, I, we don't know if we'll ever see the guy that we saw uh, in his first year of his Pistons tenure. I don't know if that guy ever exists. And um, that kind of, when, when we talked about Blake operating from the post so much and we uh, discussed why Dwayne Casey wasn't calling more pick and rolls. And then you saw a possession like that. It's like, okay, well now we know for sure the reason that uh, the Pistons offense wasn't as dynamic is because uh, they were waiting around for Reggie Jackson to be healthier. They, they just literally could not trust his output on, on a night to night basis. And now that he's finally healthy and now that he's, uh, Still the same player he's shown he can be aggressive and mindset-wise. Um, the Pistons' offense can be more dynamic and be more free-flowing. You don't uh, you don't see those moments as much. Uh, there were still a couple moments against uh, Toronto when he got matched up to Pascal Siakam that were uh, cringe-inducing. But uh, that's but you if you're not getting if you're getting a higher level from Reggie all the time, you can ask you can ask more of him. And you know, like you said. Uh, and like we talked about, him attacking the rim, him attacking the uh, the glass, uh, turns Andre into a, a better offensive rebounder. Uh, Reggie Jackson has a great touch around the basket, and he attracts so much attention. He lobs a lot of Kobe assists to Andre that Andre just cleans up and turns into instant uh, instant offense. And those are possessions that the uh, the Pistons like really just leverage. Um, Reggie doesn't necessarily have to be. He doesn't have, that's the other thing. He doesn't really have to be this good, right, to be a positive contributor. Uh, he doesn't have to average like 18 and 5. If he averaged like 16 and 4, and, and if he's still on good efficiency, if he's not shooting, you know, 46% from three, if he's shooting 36% from three, that's all the Pistons need from him is that, that aggressive basket attacking mindset because they don't have that, uh, that skill anywhere else uh, across the roster. All right. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about was Langston, Langston Galloway. I've I've uh, I've been disappointed with Langston uh, up and down throughout the season. Um, Langston is he's sweet. He varies between hot and cold. And when he's cold, he's cold. And when he's hot, he's hot. And he's hot right now. And I feel like I got to give him credit for for being hot. 
um, you know, when I get on him for being cold. Uh, he shot over 40% from three in the last 15 games. That's the that's really the main number I look at when it comes to Langston. Like, what's his three-point percentage since uh, so many of his shots come from three, and that's really what he's asked to do uh, offensively. Uh, I believe uh, Keith Langlois tweeted out today after the uh, after the Chicago game, he uh, Langston has made his last 12 three-pointers. So he's 12 for 12 over his last three games, which is just which is crazy to think about. Like that's not something you you ever see in in today's NBA. Um, and so we get to the question of why and will it last? Uh, I don't think Langston will never miss another three-point shot. I, but uh, but the why, the why is what's troubling me. I, I can't say that I've seen a huge change in the way that Langston has played. Uh, maybe he's rushing his, he's not rushing his shots as much. Uh, I feel like he's been attacking the rim a little bit more lately. Uh, I feel like he's displayed like a little bit more judiciousness in his shot selection. But other than that, I like, I don't really have a great explanation for why Langston Galloway is shooting better. Do you, Ben? No, I don't. And shout out to uh, Terry Mills, who holds the Pistons franchise record of 13 consecutive three-point makes, according to uh, George and Greg on today's broadcast. So uh, we'll have to see if Terry Mills gets unseated by, by Langston Galloway's hot streak. But with Langston, yeah, I don't think you have to overthink it with him. Um, I, I think... You've just got a guy who's a super streaky shooter, and right now he's shooting the ball really well. Uh, I think, you know, Coach Casey has done a really, really good job of blending uh, Luke Kennard and, and his emergence over the second half of the season with uh, Langston Galloway's hot shooting, and, and I think he's also done a good job with the other part of the backcourt and, and Rich, Itch, uh, excuse me, Ish and Reggie as well. Um, so I think Coach deserves some credit here as well. He's done a good job of riding the right guy when the right guy is playing well. And that's not easy to do as an NBA coach. You know, over the four years of the SVG era, you know, Stan Van Gundy struck me as sort of a paint-by-numbers coach at times. He would develop a strategy or a game plan and then just stick very rigidly to that, especially when it came to rotations and minutes. Um, I think Coach Casey's done a really nice job uh, over the last, what is it now, 15 games, I think we said, 12 and 3 over the last 15, I think is what we said. Um managing the minutes of those guys who have been playing well and finding a way to keep the right guy in there. And look, even in crunch time, as we are crutch time, even as we saw with, you know, going with the second unit to sort of seal the deal against uh, the first game against Chicago, he hasn't been afraid to, to play the second guy, right? He hasn't been a play, afraid to play Ish or afraid to play Langston or afraid to play Luke, depending on who's playing well. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think it's a hot streak for Luke. I think you ride it as long as you can and you find a way to keep him engaged when the shot, you know, stops falling um, without letting him shoot you out of games. Cause that's the flip side of Langston is he can get a little shot happy. And when they, when they don't fall, he doesn't stop shooting. Uh, so the coach is going to have to be tuned into that uh, when that eventually happens. Yeah. That, that is only a small part of the reason why I couldn't be an NBA coach because he'd miss three and I'd be like, Nope, you're cold. Sorry. You're done. We're putting in Kyrie. I actually got uh, I got some somebody calling me out on Twitter uh, for saying that Kyrie should have played over him uh, now that he's hot again. It's like, do you? It's like this guy runs hot and cold. He was cold. Like I don't I don't know what you expect from me, but uh, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I guess the the follow up for that is so Luke Kennard has been playing really well of late, but he's been playing really well in his uh, selected role of sixth man off the bench. Um, we've talked about before uh, Luke starting and coming off the bench and how 
I, I'm a, I'm in I'm with you in agreement that it's really not necessarily who starts but who finishes. And as long as Luke is finishing and getting the appropriate amount of minutes, it doesn't matter matter whether he starts or not. Um, but if uh, if the Pistons aren't able to retain Wayne Ellington, who has also played well of late, and uh, they're compelled to, uh, would you rather put Luke in the starting lineup or uh, bring in a guy like Langston, who you know was inconsistent, who you know runs hot and cold, uh, to keep Luke in a role that seems to be working really well for him? It's a great question. Um, other thing that I would consider here before thinking about just Luke Kennard is what the Pistons ultimately decide to do with that second unit as a whole. Um, if you look at their contract profile at any of the big sites online, you know, you'll see they've got some decisions to make, right? They've got a big decision to make about Ish Smith in particular. And I'm personally torn about what they do with this. Ish is a guy who, if you look at some of the more advanced box score stats, like he just, he doesn't seem like he should make that big of a difference because his box score stats just, they they aren't much. He, He doesn't produce a whole lot if that's how you're looking at things. But it's undeniable that he has a bigger impact than that box score suggests when you watch him play with a second unit. There's just absolutely no question about it. Um, So, you know, should Luke come off the bench, should Luke start? I kind of want to punt a little bit and see what they do with a second unit. They've obviously got another decision to make about GR3. uh, So, you know, that could impact how the second unit shakes out in terms of the three-man. You know, Bruce Brown, another guy who played a lot early in the season, but I, I think it's sort of taken a backseat as our offensive gunners have gotten rolling. Um, but yeah, I mean, either way, I think I'm fine with Luke. The thing I like about him in the second unit, you know, there's only one basketball. And if you're playing with Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin, uh, you're not going to touch it as much. Uh, in the second unit, he's he's really the secondary ball handler. He's the second guy outside of Ish. And that gives him, you know, ample opportunities to take advantage of his improved handle I think it gives him ample opportunities to also be a creator and facilitator, uh, which is another part of his game that's really blossoming in a second year in the NBA. So, um, yeah, I, I, let's see how the second unit shakes out, you know, in, over the summer. Um, and I think from what I can tell about this team, I think one of the things that Coach Casey has developed is, is a sense of camaraderie that no one seems to really care. Right. There aren't egos clashing with each other. And this is a team who certainly could have that happen. Right. Reggie could get mad about ish closing out games or Luke could get mad about coming off the bench behind a second rounder like Bruce Brown. But but that hasn't happened. Uh, So I think, you know, as long as that continues to be the case and as long as Coach Casey continues to manage that well, it, it doesn't matter a whole lot to me if Luke starts or not as long as you continue to use his skill set and the, the way that helps the team the most. And that's what he's been successful in doing right now. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, Dwayne Casey has done a great job of keeping these, these guys together, making sure the locker room uh, perseveres. He's also done a great job of staying on message that, you know, this team is a playoff team. Uh, this team needs to have uh, higher expectations than I think that they thought of themselves uh, for most of the guys in in January and February when, when they weren't playing well. Um, I think it's I think it's good to have a guy who is less we've and we've talked about this a guy who's less reactive than than Stan Van Gundy was uh, at times uh, for Detroit. Um, as far as Langston versus Luke in the starting lineup, um, I think that you could survive with with Langston Galloway in the starting lineup. 
Um, the starting lineup with with Langston instead of Wayne Ellington has a pretty good net rating. It's plus 22 in, in short minutes, only 47 minutes uh, over the season. Um, luckily, Detroit has a plethora of available shooting guards. And so there are plenty of options besides Langston if you want to keep Luke in that sixth man role, which I think actually like the more I see him, uh, the more I think uh, that might be the role for him on this Pistons team. Just because, like like you said, as long as Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond are are starting for this this Pistons team, like you are going to be no better than the fourth uh, offensive option uh, in in the starting lineup. And I think Luke has shown himself to be a little bit more uh, deserving of uh, of offensive touches. And so the best way for him to get that is off the bench. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, that's. But like Luke's playing well. Langston playing well. I think that's part of the reason why, as we've talked about, this is this is so sustainable. Not necessarily because uh, they're they're shooting forty percent from three as a team, and, and they'll, that'll never come down. But because uh, because K- Coach Casey has stayed on message, because the guys are being put into their best roles for success. Um, I think that uh, the the process has kind of made the results. Uh, a little bit more tangible and, and fungible so that uh, when when guys know what they're doing when they know and that when they know that what they're doing is effective they buy in and the buy-in is what you're after not necessarily the wins and losses on the court um, and as they as they bought in over the season um, they've bought in fully now as as we've reached kind of this point in the season and that's why we're seeing the success that, that we've seen so far Okay, the last thing I really want to talk about today was uh, Blake getting some rest. Uh, James Edwards at The Athletic had a very nice piece about this earlier this week. Um, Blake's numbers are down in March, and uh, they were down starting kind of towards the uh, the end of February. That may just be have been because his January was just such an excellent month. He I think he averaged close to 30 points a game that month, um, and he wasn't going to maintain that all year. But uh, you, you can see it visually a little bit. Uh, Blake's looked a little bit more run down over the last couple games. Uh, he came out, excuse me, he came out against Chicago the uh, the Friday game with the with the calf strain. Uh, obviously, he he finished the uh, the game strong in Chicago and he played really well today. Um, but you can see him uh, in previous games not attacking the paint as much, kind of settling for more uh, three pointers and more mid range jumpers. Um, to me, Blake is too important to this franchise to not rest. And the Pistons are playing so, the way the Pistons are playing right right now. They can actually, I think, survive a, a game or two, not much more than that, but a game or two uh, without Blake Griffin. And so, uh, if uh, if it comes to a point where Blake's at his red line and, and you have to rest Blake uh, sometime uh, between now and the end of the season, then. Are you are you resting him in games that you think the Pistons uh, don't really have a great shot to win? Are you resting him against like uh, Golden State and, and Denver uh, later uh, later this month, or are you trying to rest him against the tanking teams? Are you trying to rest him against uh, the Clevelands and the, and the New York Knicks of the uh, of the world? Yeah, I mean, if it's me, um, I'm definitely going to try to find ways to rest him. I think you're right. Um, it, it's been great to see other guys blossom, but especially come playoff time when defense is locked down. They're going to need Blake Griffin if they want to have any chance of scaring somebody in the first round. Um, and to that end, yeah, I definitely look at those games against teams uh, who are not trying to win. 
you know, looking at the schedule later this month, they've got Cleveland and then Phoenix on the 18th and the 21st. That'd be a chance where they play on the 17th against Toronto and they don't play again against a, a meaningful opponent again until the 23rd. You could get them potentially four or five days of solid rest uh, in a situation like that. Um, looking to close the season as well, Memphis and New York are the last two games of the season. Another chance to maybe rest them. Hopefully you're in a position by that point where um, your playoff seed is locked up uh, at that point in the season, and you can afford to do that. Um, but I, I would definitely try to play him against the good teams because I think what you absolutely need at this point in the season, given that you've been working with injured players and guys who aren't at 100%, what you absolutely need to do is put yourself to the test against the best teams in the NBA uh, to really see you know, what have we got that's really working and, and what's going to hold up against those good teams when rotations shrink to eight and everybody's best players are playing, you know, uh, 32, 34, 36 minutes a game. So that's how I'd go about it. Sounds kind of like you're, you're thinking the same thing. The other thing I think I would think about is finding ways to get him rest while he's on the court. And I think the emergence of Reggie Jackson as a ball handler can do that, you know, over the first 40 plus games of the season, literally every possession was going through Blake Griffin. I think you can utilize his shooting as just simply a way to get some floor stretch. And so you could go a possession or two or three where you can sort of plant him in the corner or plant him on the perimeter and run a Reggie Andre pick and roll on the other side of the floor to get him those 15 seconds to catch his breath. And and I think also importantly, um, gives him a chance to not be banging inside because you know that's become a big part of his game as his game has matured it's it's backing guys down and essentially bullying them all the way to the rim um, so so I'd look for opportunities um, to do that as well um, but that said um, I, I think at least part of why we're seeing Blake's individual numbers go down a little bit is that everyone else is starting to play well so let's not overlook that as well uh, you know, Reggie's making shots, Luke's making shots, etc. It's only natural that some of Blake's individual numbers would go down when that happens. And uh, let's not lose sight of the fact that that might actually be a good thing for the team as a whole. Blake was clearly carrying the team over that first 40 games or so, and there's room for error now. He can, he can rest a little bit. He doesn't have to, to lead every single possession. Uh, so I think it's okay for the, for those possessions and, and for those individual numbers to go down a little bit. That's ultimately uh, not a bad thing. You're you're absolutely right that uh, Blake's production, you know, in statistically, is not necessarily like what really matters. What matters is kind of how he's performing and how he's feeling and how he's looking uh, health wise. Um, I think that. You know, to that end, there's definitely ways to get him rest on the court. You saw, and you you'll see teams do this, and I think this is the first time I can recall, um, or maybe not the very first time, but uh, the first time in some time. Uh, like Blake was covering Shaq Harrison today because Shaq Harrison is a terrible offensive player, and the Bulls pretty much just stuck him in the corner and prayed that something like good would happen around him, and you know that gives Blake. Uh, a nice amount of rest like when he's on the court you can you can uh, hide Blake uh, on you know non-shooting uh, big mans and uh, if if that's what the uh, if the teams aren't utilizing that like that's that's a place where he can kind of catch his breath on court 
you know, against against playoff teams, there's less likely that you'll have really uh, really poor players that Blake can guard and then rest with. Um, you, you'll see, I think, less of that as the season uh, moves into the playoffs. But uh, that's something that I think you, uh, especially like you'll see LeBron do this. LeBron will cover the like worst offensive player uh, on the other team and just kind of save all of his energy for for uh, for the offensive end of the court. Uh, you'll see teams do that with uh, with James Harden, et cetera. It's, it's a little bit easier to do that with perimeter guys rather than bigs. But at the same time, uh, I think that uh, Chicago went so small today that I think you could have gotten away with it, and they did, clearly. But uh, there's, there's opportunities there for, for moments like that to give Blake uh, some rest. Um, I will say I, I would definitely rest Blake against the tanking teams. Um, the, you play Cleveland again at Cleveland. He doesn't need to play that game. Uh, you play Memphis, the second to last uh, game of the year. If your playoff seed's locked up, he doesn't need to play that game. Uh, you play Phoenix as like I think the second game of a uh, of your West Coast string. Uh, he doesn't need to play that game. But uh, I think there are also moments that you have to keep in mind. Uh, we we've talked about the infamous load management with uh, with Kawhi Leonard on this podcast. Uh, I think there are opportunities for you to, to keep those in mind. I think the the last game of the West Coast road trip is is in Denver. It's the third game in four nights, and it's being played at elevation. Um, that, to me, screams uh, injury potential. And so maybe despite the fact that Denver is a really good team, um, you've beaten them already at home. Um, but in a, in a situation in which you know they were playing their third game in four nights, and you saw what what that did to them, uh, on on the injury list and, and during the game, and so like the to me that that's an also an opportunity when the schedule kind of says to you like now would be a good time to rest Blake. You can also take that opportunity, and and there won't be many more of those just because there's not uh, many more games left in the season at this point. Well, speaking of games left in the season at this point, uh, the Pistons play the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow in what is functionally a playoff game for them. Uh, they, the tiebreaker is tied one, one, and, uh, they don't play the nets again after the, uh, tomorrow's game. And so if they win that game, they will have the tiebreaker over the Brooklyn nets. Uh, they play the Miami heat on Wednesday. That's another playoff game. The, that's another team that, um, they need the tiebreaker over and is chasing them in the standings right now. And then they, uh, they're at, uh, they're, no, they're home for the Lakers, excuse me, on Friday. Uh, that game looked a lot more difficult in, uh, September than it does right now. Uh, Brandon Ingram is out with a uh, with a blood clot. I think it's deep vein thrombosis. Uh, that's really unfortunate, and of course, we uh, we hope that that situation resolves itself. Um, Lonzo Ball is out with uh, with a high ankle sprain. Um, they the Lakers have you know started to say that they'll start resting LeBron on back to backs, and so uh, you know we don't know what kind of state that franchise or that team will be in when they come to LCA, and then uh, Toronto plays in Detroit on Sunday. And so I ask you, I guess for the final time, uh, this podcast, Ben, uh, will this continue? Will we, uh, will we come back in this podcast, uh, this time next week? And the other Pistons are six games above 500. Ha <laughs> six games above 500. Wow. That would be something. Um, you know, to me, the interesting games are Brooklyn, Miami, um, the Lakers game. It's hard to really care about, um, because the, they're the Lakers, one, two, because, 
you know, their, their franchise and their season just seems to be kind of falling apart in spite of the fact that you land LeBron James. Um, you know, what are they 30? They're three games up right now. I, I think splitting this week would be fine. You've got three potential playoff teams in Brooklyn, Miami, and Toronto. Obviously they just want a thriller over Toronto. So, so nothing's impossible, but I think a split split this week would be fine. Uh, going two and two would be fine. Split against Brooklyn, Miami, uh, split against the Lakers and in, in Toronto. And I think you're okay. So, Par for the course, hold steady, five hundred, and I'll be perfectly happy with that. Right, I would, I would also be fine with the split, but I think they they got to win both of these road games. They got to beat the Nets and the Heat. Uh, the they are, you know, at a plus. Uh, they're at, they are above ninety percent chance to make the playoffs right now, but just you know, solidifying those tiebreakers, getting every possible advantage you can. Uh, I think that'll that'll be something that. Uh, that will just help me feel a lot better about the way that the Pistons have closed seasons in the past versus the way they're going to close this season. And, you know, like you said, I don't really, if they lose to the Lakers, they lose to the Lakers. That's fine. LeBron's still really good. Um, the team has kind of fallen around apart around him. And so we'll see how that goes. I expect them to win, but if they lose, it's fine. And uh, Toronto, I don't think it, it, it appears that there's no way Dwayne Casey will will ever let this team do anything but like play Toronto as tough as humanly possible. <laughs> and so I wouldn't be surprised if they somehow managed uh, to win to win that game, but to me it's more important that you that you get those tiebreaker games on the road. Those are those are the big games to watch uh, this week. Yeah, and that Brooklyn game in particular is is just so huge. They've obviously played a few more games than the Pistons, but that Brooklyn game is key. Yeah, Brooklyn's schedule uh, toughens up significantly in the next couple of weeks, and so you expect them to to fall in the standings. I think they have a they have a really tough West Coast swing ahead of them. They still have to play the Celtics two more times, and the Celtics are still trying because uh, they're they're competing for the playoffs. Uh, they have to, you know, play the Magic again. They have to play the Heat again. Teams that are also, you know, scrapping with them to try and make the playoffs. And so, uh, yeah. you you expect Brooklyn to to come out swinging uh, for that game. Of course, the they almost lost to Atlanta um, Saturday. Uh, Atlanta has played a bunch of teams really tough, but still, that's a game. Well, they they did win, and that's a game you expect to win. But uh, that shows, I think, that the Nets are kind of struggling a little bit. They've been struggling a little bit lately, and I hope the Pistons can can take advantage of that. Yeah, and that 90% number is really interesting because, and maybe this is a topic for next week, the Pistons do not have an easy schedule going out the rest of the way. They've got a pretty nasty West Coast road trip. Um, they play the overwhelming majority of the teams they play yet are, are very good teams. Most of them are playoff teams. There's really only like maybe four games that you think are no brainers in their favor. So, you know, I'm, I'm loving this positivity and I'm loving this win streak, but man, 90%, that sure feels high to me. Yeah. The, they play, not only do they play a bunch of, of good teams, they play a bunch of good teams like on the road. Yeah. And so, and the road is a place where they've struggled this season and so, you know, I'm with you. I don't know what what formulas or algorithms go into that 538 playoff chance. Uh, I assume a lot of it has to do with the fact that Brooklyn's schedule is also tough and that they're, you know, five or so games up in the loss column above teams like the Heat and the Magic who would need to, like, you know, put on a lot of energy uh, to catch them. But at the same time, like, you know, any anything is possible. I don't, I don't know if... Uh, if 90% fully encapsulates how I feel about this playoff push as well. But just just keep winning games, guys, and we'll feel yep. better. 
All right, Ben. Uh, now is the part of the podcast where I ask you if you got to see the uh, Michigan Michigan State game. Oh, uh, he went there. <laughs> he went there. That Tom Izzo defense, man. The the Wolverines when they, you know, this is beeline system. When the Wolverines bounce the ball and dribble the air out of it, they suck, and that's what they did in the second half. And you can't say that's what they did by choice. MSU's defense just locked them down over those last ten to twelve minutes, and. You know, there were some questionable whistles. I mean, some Michigan guys got into foul trouble, but that wouldn't have been enough to, to change the outcome. They just got they just got outplayed by that Spartan defense. So I could, man, I could freaking hear all those Sparties from my house rioting in the streets. No, I'm, I'm kidding about that. But, uh, yeah, just too too much defense got smothered. Yeah, I will say I I agree with you about the questionality of some of the whistles. I you know it's a rivalry game. I'm not going to look gift horses and mouths, but if some of those calls had gone uh, the other way, I would I would have been pretty mad. Yeah, I mean the thing is the the bad calls put the guys in foul trouble, and that's where it gets harder. It's not just like it's a one possession call. Mm-hmm. It's a call where you've got to then sit a guy for four minutes, and that that hurts. But look, it, it wasn't the difference maker. That that defense just smothered the Wolverines' offense. Yeah, I will. I will say uh, I've not watched a ton of college basketball this year, but you're right uh, in that when a, a beeline uh, coached offense is working like it was in the first half, it is uh, it's much more beautiful than your uh, run of the mill college basketball. Offense. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's, it is an absolute thing of beauty. And it's been that way really since, you know, it, it took him a couple of years to get going, but it, it's one of the prettiest team oriented offenses you can watch in college ball. I mean, you get the dominant teams who have the dominant superstars that are just better than everybody. Um, you know, accepting those teams out of the equation, you know, Michigan's offense is just, it's, it's right up there with the most, you know, pretty things to watch. Well, even watching watching UNC Duke into Michigan, Michigan State was, was interesting just because, like, Duke's offense is, there is no Duke offense. It's just the two right. guys that they have left jacking threes. And so, right. like, the, the contrast between being, you know, forced to watch that for, uh, for 40 minutes of basketball versus uh, what we saw in the Michigan, Michigan State game for the first half, at least was just uh, it just reminded me how uh, the how much diversity of experience there is in college basketball. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Yeah. All right, Ben, what's uh what's your Twitter handle? What's the best place for people to to hit you up? At BR Golker, come talk to me about Luke Kennard and Donovan Mitchell. That's been my game this week. Oh, I'm I'm really surprised we haven't gotten more uh touchy jazz fans about that. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're probably not paying enough attention is probably the, the issue. Yeah, they, yeah, they got their own playoff race to worry about. Uh, of course, if you are a touchy jazz fan and you want to get at me, you can do so at Laz Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you next week.